This morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I was trying to figure out how do I explain uh, why we're here, why we're in this passage. And so, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I feel is important is trying to understand the culture that our kids, our teens are growing up in. And more than just who the popular entertainers are, the singers, you know, whatever, or uh, social media influences, I'm concerned about the ideas that are behind the messages being portrayed, being shown uh, through songs, movies, TV shows, all of that stuff. And I should clarify, uh, I'm not the type of person that jumps to the doomsday attitude quickly, right? I'm pretty laid back, go with the flow usually. Um, but I see as I look over our culture, I think it's obvious that there has been a shift that has occurred over the last three to five years that has me concerned. The reality is our culture is not changing anytime soon. As much as we want it to as followers of Jesus, as much as uh, those of you who are older and have, been ex- have experienced the benefits of a culture that at least holds on to Christian values, right? you know what that benefits look like and you want that for your kids and grandkids, um, I don't see that returning anytime soon. So uh, what are we to do? And the reason I don't see that changing is because the ideas and the beliefs behind uh, the why, right? The why people are behaving the way they're behaving, they're rooted into the fabric of our current society, I feel like. And one, so that's the first thing. And then since Pastor Aaron has come in, he's repeatedly reminded our leadership at church that we need to be vigilant. We need to be watchful. And if you got his newsletter from, I think, a week or two ago, he mentioned that Satan would like nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. Bethesda right now. He knows that as there's a transition going on, that that will prevent, present opportunities to, uh, to do those things. And the phrase that has stuck with me as he come in, I think it's probably from a conversation that I had with Pastor Aaron, is this wartime mentality. And it's just one of those things that keeps coming back uh, to me. So we have to be watchful and expect spiritual warfare. So these thoughts have been rolling around in the back of my head for the last four to six weeks as I've known I'm going to be up here. And um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron referenced our passage today in one of his sermons, and it caught my attention. And so I started to dig in a little more. And our passage today is likely, uh, as we'll see, it's likely some of the last words of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's in prison for a second time. You'll see in verse 6 that he realizes he's probably not going to get out of prison. Like this is, the end is near, right? Not just uh, the end of his life is near. And so he writes this letter to Timothy, and you can feel the weightiness of Paul's words. <clears throat> so I've never been in the military. I know many of you have. Um, so I'm not very knowledgeable on its practices. But the picture I get for our passage today is similar to what I've seen in shows depicting the military. And I don't think it's completely inaccurate. It's the picture of the last briefing before that group goes out to accomplish its mission. Maybe it's a a special operation um, or a a small group of people and they're sitting together and they're usually getting instructions. Um, Most likely they're always in full gear ready to go so that when that person is done giving those final instructions, they're off to accomplish their mission. And obviously that someone in the front is somebody up in the higher ranks. 
giving them their final instructions and reminding them what the mission is and how to accomplish it. So picture yourself today, this morning, before the Apostle Paul, as he gives you the marching orders to go out and accomplish the great mission that God has given us to do. And just in case you're not clear on what that mission is, Jesus gave it to us right before he ascended to heaven. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So let's read uh, the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If you've heard me before, you've probably heard me say, context is important, right? As I was teaching Revelations, the, the video instructor that we were, were listening to and teaching us, he, he said, uh, read the verses before and after, if you're not sure. And if that doesn't help you, read the chapter before and the chapter after. And if we do that, we realize kind of the context really of these words and the charge that Paul is giving Timothy is in verses 3 and 4, right? There is uh, a time, and he says the time is coming, but the reality is probably for Timothy, the time had already come when people didn't want to hear the truth from God's word. They didn't want to hear the truth that Timothy was preaching, and they wanted to, they went off and found other people, and it's interesting where it says they accumulate for themselves, meaning it's like they're finding all these people that, that agree with what they want to hear, right? They don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear something else uh, just so they can feel good about themselves. <clears throat> and if you jump back to chapter 3, uh, the context is explained even a little more. It says in the verse, first five verses of chapter 3, he really, he really lays out the culture. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And I think this, there's probably a time where this can be said in every generation, right? It's not that this is new to us. I realize that, even though I'm not even 40 years old yet, um, that this is kind of can describe probably a time in every generation, every century. But this is the context, right? This is where Timothy is at and, and where we are at. And it it frames the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. But even though that's the context, that's what's going on outside of him, Paul does remind Timothy also in chapter 3 of where he's been, right? He says, you've been with me, you've walked, you've done the things that I've done, you've walked in obedience to God, 
Uh, you even grew up with a family that presented the truth to you. Um, and then he comes to those all-important verses in at the end of chapter 3 that if you're from Awana, you hopefully are familiar with, that says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's the context for the challenge that Paul gives in verse 1. And as I was thinking about this, um, if you've been around to Bethesda a long year, a long time, not a long year, I mean, how many of you have been here like 20 plus years? I know many of you have been here um, for a long time and you've seen, um, maybe you can see the parallels between the life of Timothy and the life of Bethesda Church. And that's kind of another reason I really like this passage this morning. Um, but for those of you who are fairly new, let me fill you in a little bit. In verses 13, 14 and 50, Paul said the verses that the things that Paul says to Timothy in 14 and 15 could very well be claimed and said to Bethesda Church. But as for you, Bethesda Church, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred things which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and if you notice, next year is going to be Bethesda Church's 80th year. And over that time span, as I've gotten to know it and we've looked at the history, um, Bethesda has been blessed with some great teachers and preachers of God's Word that have remained faithful to teaching and preaching the Word. That's why it is what it is today. Uh, and... <clears throat> As we looked for a new senior pastor, that was one of the things that was important to you as the congregation, that we had a new pastor that also did those things, that remained faithful, that preached God's word and what it says in God's word. So put yourself this morning in Timothy's shoes um, as you hear this charge in verse 1. And in verse 1, he starts off uh, with, he kind of gives verse 1 and, and 6 through 8 are the kind of the bookends where he gives the motivation for why you should do this. And then in verses 2 and 5, there's some, some marching orders and attitudes that we're going to look at. So in verse 1, he, see, he gives us the, the foundation for our motivation, and that is that Christ is returning and will judge us for our actions. Right? We will give an account for what we do with the message that God has revealed to us. Um, and if you're you get the fortunate opportunity to be up here or in front of a class, um, the words of James 3 verse 1 should um, be even bring more weight where he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we don't like to think about being judged, but the reality is we cannot escape it. The truth from God's word is that there is going to become a time when Christ returns where he will judge us for what we have done. And part of that is what are we going to do, what we do with the message. And there is a type of fear that is a healthy type of fear, right? The hot stove, the rushing water, those things are healthy type of fear showing us that we maybe need to um, fear what that is. So that's the motivation in verse 1. And then in verses 2 and verse 5, he gives us six kind of different marching orders and four attitudes that I think are necessary uh, for doing the six things that he asks us to do. So right away in verse two, the big one, kind of the one that overarch is kind of over everything is preach the word. Right? That's the first thing, preach the word. 
What does he mean by the word? What is Paul talking about? Well, simply put, that's the word of God, right? It's the Bible. It's what we have here in your hands or on your on your phone uh, or wherever you have it. Hopefully you have it this morning, but that's God's word. I'm going to read to you what our confession of faith says. Oh man, I'm not doing a good job with that. Um, About God's word. This is what we as Bethesda believe. It says, we believe God has made himself known to all people, beginning with creation and culminating in Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in the Old and New Testaments. All scripture is inspired by God and is the authoritative guide for faith and practice. We interpret the scripture in the church community as guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, I could go into great detail. I could take the rest of our time here this morning to lay out why I think and why we believe at Bethesda Church as leaders um, that this is God's word, right? We could do that, um, but we don't have time. But I would say with confidence, I believe what, that what we have here in our Bible is the word of God. Our leaders believe that. Scholars throughout history have confirmed and with full confidence say that this is the word of God. And if you doubt that, um, that's kind of where you got to start. That's where you have to start. We got to deal with that doubt. If you doubt that, please come talk to me or one of our leaders. But we believe that. We believe it's God's word. We also kind of believe that it is infallible or what we say inerrant, meaning it's completely accurate. It's completely true. There are no errors in God's word. And the message of that word is from First Corinthians, we can see in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul makes it very clear. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's saying, here's the message of the gospel, of God's word. I delivered to you of a, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. That's the core message of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to preach, right? To preach means to proclaim. Now, if you aren't familiar with this, God's word, the stories in it, what it says, you have a really awesome opportunity because Billy Sargent right now is going through this from Genesis to Revelation in an adult Sunday school class over the next year where he walks through, he looks at the main themes, the storylines, all of that. So if that's unfamiliar to you, there is your opportunity. So that's what the word of God is. He says, preach that word. That's the first thing. The next thing that he, the next uh, order, or marching order that he gives us is Always be ready, right? It's there in right after preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Means you must know it in order to be ready to preach it, right? You can't just hope to open it up. (laughs) I heard a story on Moody Radio this week that uh, a lady who came to faith and she is going to church and um, she was doing what she thought she was supposed to be doing. But when crisis came, she was like, she all of a sudden realized, oh, I don't know this. And she said, I, I've been heard and I've been told that like this book speaks to you. So like, am I just supposed to open it up and like, it, like I can understand it? Well, that, like that's kind of what we need. We need to know God's word. We need to understand what it says. 
That doesn't mean you have to have a Bible degree or go to Bible college or be a Sunday school teacher. Um, it just means that you need to do your part in understanding God's word and what it says. And one of the benefits of this and the information age that we're in is it's right there, right? You have so many resources at your fingertips uh, to be able to understand and get into God's word. And I, I like to say uh, one of my favorite definitions of evangelism, I think kind of also works here with God's word. I, I always say that evangelism, sharing your faith is you share the gospel to the best of your ability and you leave the results up to God, right? You do it to the best of your ability, not just haphazardly, um, but you want to learn how to do it to the best of your ability, and then you leave the results up to God. And I think it's the same thing about God's word. To be ready, you understand this to the best of your ability. And this week, hopefully, you're not going to understand it as best as you do in 20 years. But to the best of your ability today, this week, you understand it and are ready to give um, an answer or ready to explain it as needed. So always be ready. Uh, the next three things are kind of linked together uh, there at the end of verse 2. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Um, kind of goes back to what he said in verses 16 and 17. All scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. <clears throat> reprove means to correct. Kind of simple. Implying that someone can believe something wrong and needs to be corrected. Rebuke is a little bit of a stronger word, Right? That's kind of somebody who's to the point where they're doing something, they're acting in a way that doesn't line up with Scripture, and they need to be called out. That's that idea of rebuke. Um, and then exhort just means to encourage, right? Using the Word of God to encourage somebody. So those are the next uh, three things. And the last one I think he gives us at the end of verse uh, 2, it says, "...with instruction and teaching." That implies a series of beliefs that need to be taught and learned, right? It's not just um, what does the Bible mean for you, it's what does God's Word say? So the question you should ask when we come to God's Word is, what is the message that God has communicating to them, to Timothy? What was God trying to communicate? And then the follow-up question is, how does that apply to my life today? So we have the instructions to preach the Word, to always be ready, to reprove, rebuke, exhort, to teach it, instruct it. And then the last one, if you jump down to uh, verse 5, towards the end, he says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We are encouraged and commanded to, over and over again in Scripture to share the gospel with those who don't yet believe. It's not just for those who are gifted at it, right? I mean, you would think Timothy was a, a, a preacher of God's word, but uh, Paul commands him to be an evangelist, to share the gospel. It was kind of neat as I was um, I noticed on, on Facebook this morning that Tony Haug, one of our supported missionaries, uh, said that just this week they had to conduct a funeral service for a new believer in Christ, and that's not the greatest thing, you know, that somebody passed away, um, but the great news is that at 91 years of age, this Japanese person accepted Christ as their savior. And then the next day, they passed away and were with, 
with God in heaven. Um, so even though it's not great that they passed away, it's great that they accepted Christ as their Savior. You never know how long it's going to take, right? 91 years old. There's not many people in this room who are 91, but after 91 years of following Buddhism in a completely different religion, they accepted the truth of the gospel um, and, and they were saved. So we always have to be evangelistic. We always have to be willing and ready to share the gospel. And as I look at those different things that Paul is asking us to do, those marching orders that he's given us, um, I realize that more and more these things are becoming offensive in our culture. It's interesting, I just came across a a post on Instagram this week where a lady was saying that uh, she's a Christian, she said she's a Christian, but she said she believes that sharing your faith with somebody is, what she quoted, she said, violence against another, So she says, as a Christian, I believe that if you're going to share the gospel with somebody, that's committing violence against them. And you're considered intolerant today if you try to correct someone's beliefs, but that's what Paul is saying, one of the things we need to do here. Um, And it made me think of about a year ago, Rhonda came across an interview with a guy named Andrew Brunson. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but he was a pastor in Turkey who innocently went in to get his visa renewed, and he was detained for over two years um, and being accused of being a terrorist, basically, and aiding terrorist organizations. And when he got out, um, he did an interview with Open Doors, and he was asked about um, the state of persecution going forward. And he, unsolicited, he actually, he said, he talked about the United States. And he said, I actually think there are difficulties coming into the United States. I believe that there is a wave of persecution that is going to hit the U.S. church. And it's not going to be the same as it is in Nigeria or North Korea, but it will nevertheless be very significant. So I think we need to prepare ourselves to live as a minority in the United States. And that's a real shift in the way most people think. Not that the, U- that the U.S. was a Christian country, but it was a culturally Christian country as far as many people having some favorable view of Christianity. So that's one of our assignments now in the States, to sound the alarm and say, prepare our hearts so that when pressure comes, we don't get knocked out, but stand firm. So what does this mean for you and for me? Like I said, that first thing, preach the word. That really encompasses and is the umbrella for everything. And everything boils down to what you believe and what you proclaim about the Bible. What does it look like for you to preach the word? It's not just for me to do. It's not just for Wes to do, Pastor Aaron, those who get up here on a Sunday morning. As parents and grandparents, like Colleen talked about, are you preaching the word to your children and grandchildren? Are you shepherding them in the way that God has called you to? At work, it begins with your life and your behavior and how you act. Um, But as Pastor Aaron shared last week, right, it can't stop there. Are you ready to share when somebody asks you a spiritual question or asks you why you do things the way you do or why do you go to church on Sunday? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Teenagers, can't get off the hook here, right? Are you preaching the word? You have a platform on social media. Are you sharing things that line up with the truth of God's word? Are you sharing God's word itself? Uh, That's an area you can do that. When you're in conversations with your friends and things kind of shift to those life questions or spiritual things, 
Are you using those opportunities to speak truth? Or are you backing down? And lastly, maybe God has gifted you with the ability to teach, right? It is a gift. Uh, certain people are gifted in that and can do it in a great way. And you, have you, are you gifted in that way and you haven't used that ability yet for God's kingdom? We're always looking here at Bethesda for biblically sound, grounded teachers for Sunday school, Awana, sold out practically every area of church. We need teachers. And I wanted to remind you before we move on to the attitudes, um, something that I have to guard against in my own life as I look for, if these are my marching orders, if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to preach the word, be ready, you know, reprove, rebuke, correct, instruct, all of those things, something that I have to be reminded of often, and we have to be careful with that wartime mentality that I talked about. Let's just keep going back to me. I have to be careful, maybe you can relate to some of this, um, to not be militant in my attitudes, right? Uh, It's easy to equate somebody's beliefs with the person. For example, that lady that I I mentioned earlier who said it's war um, or it's violence against somebody to share your faith. If I'm not careful, my attitude starts equating what she believes with who she is as a person. And I can start to think that, you know, she's a horrible person or I can't believe she would do that. I, you know, she is fill in the blank. Um, and I, I have to be careful. I can't go down that road, right? That person that believes those things is loved by God so much that he sent his son to die for her sins just as much as he sent him to die for my sins. Um, as I've been reflecting lately and looking on my life and my upbringing and the things that I w- experienced, um, I am amazed at the grace of God and what he has done for me. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be standing here, right, as a follower of Jesus Christ with a great family, with a church that supports me, um, always remembering that I am the beneficiary of God's grace as well. And when I remember what God has done for me, I must have the same attitude as Jesus, right? Philippians 2, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus also humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So our attitudes are incredibly important in helping us do what Paul is asking us to do. So let's look at four attitudes real quick as we close that Paul gives us in these verses. Uh, The first one is in verse two, patience, right? We all require time. I'm glad God's patient with me um, or I would be a mess. I wouldn't be here like I said earlier, right? Um, If you took a poll of the people in this room and how many times did you have to hear the gospel before you accepted it, right? It's probably multiple times is the average. So we need to be patient with others and those that we are of the circles of influence. That's the first thing. The next attitude that I think we have is not specifically stated, but I think it's there in verse two um, and in verse five, it says, uh, verse two, uh, with complete patience and teaching, And all of those ideas of reproving, correcting, understanding God's word is the attitude of surrender, right? You don't see this attitude specifically stated, but it's there. It's implied in the fact that Paul is saying there's a right and a wrong in God's word, right? It's not just 
Everybody gets to believe whatever they want, right? If, if that were the case, you wouldn't have to correct somebody. You wouldn't have to rebuke somebody. Uh, you wouldn't have to encourage somebody. So there's, not, uh, there's an attitude of surrender. I have to surrender my will, my desires, the way I want to live to what God's word says. Uh, so without the willingness to surrender, we'll each be tempted to teach what people want to hear or go find what we want to believe. So that's the second attitude. Uh, the third attitude is there in verse 5, always be sober-minded. And obviously this phrase is related to alcohol and its effects, right? If you're not sober, it's the opposite of what one experiences when one is drunk. If you're drunk, you, you're not thinking clearly. You're, you're acting in different ways. Um, so you want to have a sober mind, a clear thinking, a mind that thinks things through and understands things. And as I thought of that, I was convicted and thought... Uh, what are things that I'm allowing in my life that pull me away slowly from being clear, a clear mind and thinking through God's word? You know, are there things that uh, slowly give me lies that I eventually start to believe? Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> there's an account on Instagram that I started to follow because this person was really good at using uh, rewards points uh, from different credit cards and things that you can get, right, to get travel for um, almost nothing, right? They, they do a good job of figuring out how to do all that so you can travel less expensive, okay? That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But when you start seeing somebody who's going to Hawaii and going over to Europe and uh, in this resort and doing all these things, um, am I slowly starting to believe that that's the goal in life? Ease, comfort, travel, all of those things, right? I can easily, I can feel myself starting to be pulled towards that truth, that actually lie, that that's what life is about. That's the best thing that you can experience in life, right? That's not bad, but it's not the best thing. That's not the goal for life. So are there things like that for you? Um, it might be alcohol. It might be some addictive substance. Uh, but for most of us, it's probably something that's not bad, but it's just slowly feeding us a lie, a subtle lie. So be sober-minded. Be clear in your thinking. The last attitude, endurance. Endurance in the midst of suffering. Um, the obvious is that as Christians, we cannot expect a life of ease, of luxury, of comfort. We have to remain firm. And as I was thinking about endurance, um, it reminded me of freshman year cross-country. Um, <clears throat> cross-country practices uh, were fun, right? Actually, like, I liked cross-country. I really had a good time. But the Wednesday before state cross-country, state cross-country is on a Saturday. Wednesday, um, I get after school, cross-country coach comes to me, uh, and I was like, I was just off. I was the eighth fastest runner in cross-country on our team, so that means I just missed being a part of the state team. Um, because they took five plus the two alternates. So I wasn't practicing all week, hadn't practiced for a while uh, because I wasn't, I wasn't planning on going. But the coach comes to me and he says, we got a couple guys that aren't feeling well. You might have to go to state. You need to come practice with us today. And because I was, had PE, I had clothes, but I didn't have my shoes. So he gives me a pair of old junk shoes that he had laying in his office. And this would be okay, but Wednesdays were speed workout days. Um, and if you don't know what that is, usually that meant during the season, something like you're going to run 10, 400 meter sprints as fast as you can 
with a couple minutes in between to try to give you a break to build up that endurance, that sprint, or um, five, 800 meters. And thankfully, since it was the week before state, we weren't going all out. You know, we weren't going crazy. But I, it was something like three or four, 400 meter sprints that he made. We were supposed to do. That would have been okay. But instead, he tells me as we get out to practice that he's going to make me the rabbit. If you don't know what that is, he stuck me about 50 to 100 meters in front of those varsity runners and said, don't let them catch you, <laughs> right? And that would have been horrible. I, I don't think they did, but um, there's no way I would have been able to endure and go through that endurance part of cross country if I hadn't been practicing all season. And my point is, as I was thinking about endurance, is endurance is learned. It's not usually something we get right overnight. Um, and God will give you opportunities to learn endurance and more and more and more and give you opportunities to respond. So the four attitudes of patience, surrender, sober-minded, and endurance. And he finishes out in verses six through eight with his final motivation. Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Like I said, Paul realizes he's at the end of his life. He's, he's confident that he has done things well. And then in verse 8, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Um, and as we think of that reward in verse 8 there, he talks about this crown of righteousness. Um, and it's not a physical crown, right? It's not like um, we're not British royalty. Um, but he knows that when he gets to heaven, and what we, he knows this because it's what he's been taught from God's word, that when he gets to heaven, he's not just viewed as righteous in God's eyes. He has a perfect body, okay? Not that kind of perfect body, but like no more sickness, pain. Um, and there's no more sin. There's no more effects of sin. And he is completely righteous, completely holy. And that is the reward that he gets to look forward to. And he's saying, that's not just the reward that the apostle Paul gets. It's the reward that all who have come to faith in Jesus get and are faithful to preach the word and do those things. So, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm not a doomsday person. But as I survey the culture around me, I'm trying to take stock of what I see and what that means for us as followers of Jesus. And more and more, I'm convinced that we need this challenge from Paul more than ever. Preach the word. Remain steadfast and don't give in. And remember, Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So know the word and preach the word. Would you pray with me? We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, .org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.